I am very excited to be with you guys. Um, it's been a little while. We used to come up every year. Beth, my wife Beth is a vet. Uh, she had this vet conference up here every fall in September, and so we would come on up. And so, you know, Barb and Bob were like, so when are you coming back? You know, and when so we finally this year, we worked it out, and uh, very excited to be here. Uh, you know, I, it, it's crazy. You can flip to, uh, this is going to be my title, but go to the next one if you don't mind. So I believe this may be part of the original team to Casco Bay. So this, this character right here, my buddy, my buddy Glenn, uh, had this dream of coming to Casco Bay and planting a church here. And, and here, here it is, you know, and I'm just so excited. I'm sure there's a lot of these folks that are no longer around here anymore because they sort of came in the beginning, but just so exciting. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, so this is my little family. Um, this is John, my son John, and his wife Rachel, and that's their two kids, Ben and Rory. And, you know, I just want to encourage you, this missions thing that you're talking about today, um, I just want to thank the church because, because of your sacrifice, this church has been planted, but not only has this church been planted, but these guys, they've been in Milan now for nine years. It's cool, Milan. And uh, it's been an amazing ride for them. You know, I can remember when Link and Irene left us. I can't believe you left us. <laughs> we're in we're in Milton, Mass, and Link and I. We have a lot of stories. We have a lot of stories. And so, uh, I was just talking about Andy, Jim, Barbara, and, and Lily, and some of these people that we we've known through the years uh, with Bob, and, and and it's just it just brings back a lot of memories. And I remember, it was pretty crazy. Can you imagine, you know, the whole Paris team that went out was in our region. And when they left, Beth and I were the only people that had any experience leading a Bible talk in the entire region. Because everybody went with the Paris team. It was just that kind of heart and sacrifice to, you know, we want to get out there on the field. We want to help other people. We can't just keep this to ourselves. And so it was just amazing, but I, I definitely did miss them because there weren't very many married couples in those days. There was just a few of us, and so the last of it was all campus, and, and that's where I came from. I was converted in a campus ministry like this, uh, University of Florida, 1976. I know, I'm really old. And, uh, but what amazing transition for me to be able to go back and be able to do that. So, um, you know, it, it's how God works. You know, today I'm going to talk about the image of God. And I'm, I'm just, this is, a, this is a question for all of you, okay? So this is, this is audience participation, all right? How do you view God? Let's just throw that out. I know it's a deep question. I'll give you a moment. But what's your view of God? How do you view him? When you think of God, what pops in your head? What image pops in your head? Just raise your hand if you got something. Yeah, like my friend. Your friend. Okay. What else? 
I know I'm stumped the, stumped the crowd today. Father. Father? Yeah, Matt. Confidant, yeah, you? Sorry, the Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Come on. Okay. What else? Yeah. Refuge. Refuge. Oh, I love that word. That's a great word. Anything else? Yeah. I'm on a different wavelength, but I thought Santa Claus. Come on. And is someone that we can go to and get. Yeah, you know, it's funny, when you grow up, especially as a child, you know, you, children think in images, you know, especially when they're nonverbal. And so what is a child's image of God growing up? Now, the challenge with that is that image can shift over time, right, based on our experiences. And let me ask another question. So what has influenced your view of God. What's influenced your view of God? Let's get a few responses out there. Yeah. Uh, adversity. Adversity. Yeah, we go through challenges. Yeah. Parents. Parents. Huge influence, right? Yeah. Uh, tradition. Tradition. Yeah, sort of that traditional view. Yeah. Art. Art. Right. Yeah. In the, in the left back and then. The Bible. Yeah. Personal experience. Personal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like answers to prayer. Yeah. Answers to prayer. Yeah. yeah. That connection. You know, just seeing him. Yeah. Suffering. Suffering. Mm -hmm. Suffering. Yeah. So a lot of experiences. And you know, I think that's the challenge. You know, we'd like to say, well, there's just, this, you know, God is God, right? But we, we filter God through our experiences. Mm -hmm. We filter God through our emotions. We filter God through our parents, like it or not. And depending on how your parents, you know, behaved. Uh, you know, Barb shared a little bit about that with her experience with her folks this morning. It can shape how we view God, how we look at him, how we feel about him. Um, so it's, it's, you know, but here's why I would say this morning. <coughs> God wants us to know him. He really does. I mean, he really wants it. And this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, I'm going to do more of the spoken. You know, the, the Bible, we, we take it for granted. we got this Bible, and it's got all these words in it. The original folks that had knew about God, they didn't have Bibles. At one point, they had tablets. You imagine carrying around stone tablets with you everywhere you go. That would be something. But today, I'm going to do it more as storytelling mode. Because that's how they told the story about God. They took the stories and then they wrote them down eventually and they became part of the Bible. But they, that's not how it was. It was really the spoken word and the storytelling that we take in. And so how did God go about this? You know, he started with one guy. Can you imagine being the guy that God started with? Abraham. Abram. It's like, whoa, what, Lord? <laughs> I don't know exactly how Abram and God talked because it just, it's like a conversation in the Bible. It's like Abraham's there and he's talking to God and he's talking to Abram and, and it just seems to be a conversation with them. 
And then angels would show up and say, hey, by the way, you're going to have a kid in a year. And he's like, oh, that may be it. And his wife is laughing in the background. And, and so, you know, you just, you've got to make God real. I think that's part of what I would love to share with you this morning. He's not just this invisible God. He's not just this thing that you can't touch. He's not just this image that we sort of got brought up with or, or maybe something that got shaped in our hearts and our minds because of experiences we went through, right? He, he's real. He feels things. He thinks things. He's, he's probably the most incredible being in the world, but sometimes we just don't know how to connect. And so part of what I'm trying to do this morning is help you connect with him. So he started with one man, and then he went to a tribe. And we call it Israel, but Israel was a man. And he had 12 sons. And with those 12 sons, he started a tribe. And so instead of just communicating with Abram, now he's, he's with this big tribe of 12 tribes, and Moses was the spokes guy. And the first time that God spoke to him, it was the craziest story. You know, Moses is just doing his thing. He's going through the field, and all of a sudden he sees this bush burning. And the thing that was funny about it is the bush wasn't burning up. It was just on fire. And all of a sudden, it starts talking to him. And what does he do? He runs away. That's what most of us would do, right? You know, wow, man, what in the world? So God speaks through Moses, and through Moses, he speaks to the entire, what became the nation of Israel. And so he went from one man to a tribe and a nation, and my iPad just turned off. Thank you. Came back on. That's always good. So, and then finally... He really wanted to let us get to know him personally. And again, he went through one man. He went through Jesus. There's always been a connection there with some personality, with some person that we could connect with physically. And you know, a lot of times I would try, you know, like, what do I do to get connected with God? You know, I, I don't see him. He doesn't talk to me per se. And so, you know, he sends these men and connects with them and their stories are what helps us connect with him. And so God really wants to be seen and he wants to see you. Let me say that again. He wants to be seen, yes, he wants to be known, but he wants to see you. And that's the most incredible part of this. I mean, why would he want to see me? You know, what's up with that? I mean, this thought that somehow you're special, that somehow your soul is unique. And, you know, we all have unique fingerprints, but we also have unique souls and, and personalities. Imagine if everybody in this room looked exactly alike. What would that be like? You know, you walk in, hey, Mark, hey, Mark, how you doing? You know, it's just everybody looks the same. No, he didn't do that. It's different. You go into nature and it's crazy how different stuff is. He wants to be seen. But here's one of the things that 
is challenging. As we get shaped, as we go through life experiences, our view of God and our connection with God. I remember when I was a kid, I, I think I always believed there was a God. I don't know why. Just as a kid growing up, I just, you know, it wasn't a big stretch for me to think that there had to be a God. I looked at the world and I go, what, did it just pop in? I couldn't, I couldn't accept that. It took much more faith for me to believe that it was just an accident that this world came about rather than there was a creator. But then as my life went along, things shaped me in a way where I really turned away from God. I got very, you know, I got into drugs and alcohol. I, I did that for many years. And church to me was not cool. It just, and the people that were at church were not cool. And I saw a lot of hypocrisy at church. And, and it just, it, it shaped my vision of God at that point to a place where I really wasn't wanting to connect anymore. And it took more experiences, <laughs> not always the most pleasant ones, to finally get me, I'll never forget, one of the epiphany moments, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but one of them was I was, I was in New Orleans, I was going to school, and uh, I had a lot of friends, one of them was Alice, a girl that I knew, and, and she and I had something uh, really unique and common. We could almost drink each other under the table. Uh, it was bad, but that was our common connection. We would just go out and party. And I'll never forget, we were out one night, and we were just about to leave. You know, we'd been out all night. I was in New Orleans. This is a crazy town, man. It's a crazy place. And we go outside, and we find a $20 bill. And you nice. go, Man, you find a $20 bill, what are you going to do with that? Well, we went back in the bar. Right. <laughs> and each got another pitcher of beer. And we didn't even bother with a glass. We're drinking straight out of the pitcher. <clears throat> but then I'll never forget this thought. And I think it was the Lord just touching me on the shoulder. As I'm walking out of there, the sun was coming up. I'd been out all night. And the thought that hit me was like, where do you go from here? Are you going to like drink 24 hours a day from now on? I mean, where are you going? And it just, it left me empty. And I think that was a point where I was just starting to turn and realize I've got to find something else. I've got to find something else. This is just not enough. You know, um, in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, and we'll read some, stuff, some scripture today. Uh, the heavens declare the glories of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, we see God in nature. You guys are so blessed to be here in Portland. I mean, we, we went and saw the lighthouse. We went down to the beach. I, the trees are starting to turn. I mean, it's, this is just such a beautiful place. And, you know, the beauty in my estimation is a little wasted if you don't see God behind that. But just seeing God in nature, you know, when I see a sunrise, when I see a sunset, you know, when I read National Geographic and I, and I see the little details of stuff, and it's just crazy. Some of the discoveries that they make about plants and animals, I'm just like, this is amazing. I see God in that. I don't know what you see, but that's what I see. And then in Psalm 19, he goes on, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So the second thing is we see God in his word. You know, his word was given to us to reveal. You know, he started with these men. They wrote down this stuff. But it's to what? Give us his, who he is. So, but what I really want to talk about today, I'm going to pick one thing. I want to talk about the heart of God today. I want to talk about the heart of God. You know, how do we feel about God is highly influenced by our family, by authorities that we've had in our life, and by life, right? And in Luke 15, <clears throat> verses 11 through 24, there's a very famous story about the prodigal son. Almost everybody has heard this story, so I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit today. But, and I felt like I was one of those prodigal sons, believe me. But here we have a guy, he's, he's the second son. And in the Jewish culture, if you were the second son, you, you didn't have the rights that the first son had. The first son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and they were the head of the tribe, so to speak, after the father died. So here's the second son. He's pretty audacious. He comes, he says, Father, give me my inheritance. This is almost like telling his dad, I want to act like you've already died, and I'm going to get my inheritance. I mean, imagine that, how that would feel. That's pretty crazy to do something like that. I mean, I, I, I don't think I could have ever gone to my parents and said, hey, I demand it. Give me my inheritance. And they're like, excuse me? <laughs> what? But the thing that's amazing about this is the grace of God is shown in that he does give him his inheritance. And then he goes off. He squanders all his wealth. And now he's living with the pigs. And this is another moment that for us, culturally, these are Jews. How do Jews feel about pigs? They don't eat pigs. They don't round pigs. For whatever reason, God said, no pork for you guys. Now, I know some of you love your barbecue pork, man, but I'm sorry. In the Jewish culture, you did not eat pork. He's with the pigs. He's feeding the pigs. He's down in the, I don't know if you've ever been around a trough where they feed pigs. It's an ugly sight, but they love their slop, man. I mean, it's just amazing. But he's in with the pigs. And like I had that epiphany when I walked out of the bar, he had an epiphany that night. He goes, how many of my, my father's hired men's men have plenty of food, and here I am, trying to eat the slop of the pigs. That's how low it had gotten for him. And so he goes back. And you know, when you're, you're trying to figure out what to say to your parents, you sort of script it, right? I'll never forget, I, I totaled my parents' car. 16 years old, driving down the road. I did something really stupid. The car went out of control. By the grace of God, neither one of us got hurt. We hit this pole going 60 miles an hour sideways, and it, it just, the car was so bent that you could, and this is back in the day, guys. Cars back then were built with, like, steel frames. You know, they had real steel. You couldn't just, like, 
But you couldn't bend the fender on these cars, let me tell you. You could stick three fingers in the slots on the door on the other side of the car, wow. where, between the door and the frame. It was like, it really, we hit that thing hard. So I walk into my parents' bedroom, it's about 11 o'clock at night, knock on the door, come on in. Guys, I just want to let you know, um, I told the car. And, you know, reaction. <laughs> What'd they do? They were so gracious. The first words out of their mouth was, are you okay? Now, the next words were a little different. But the, first word, the first words were, are you okay? And, you know, we all need that kind of unconditional love. Yes. And yet some of us didn't get that growing up, did we? We didn't have that experience, maybe in a marriage or a relationship or whatever, and it shapes us. And we go, why, God? It shapes us. And I think this story was put in there to help those of us that are shaped like that. Because what happens? He goes back, he's got the script. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your servants. Before, this makes me cry. Before he could even get back to his father, his father's running, embraces him, hugs him. I, I can't imagine what the... And then the son, you know, he's, he's got his little script. He's got to get it out there. He says, Father, I, and before he can even really finish, he goes, bring the robe. Bring a ring. My son that was lost has been found. Kill the fatted calf. We've got to rejoice because my son who was dead is now alive again. Let me tell you. This is God. We're seeing a story. We're seeing a parable. But this is the Father in heaven that all of us have. Yes. Amen. We don't have to beg him for mercy. We don't have to come crawling back to him. We don't have to do penance to make ourselves worthy enough to come into his presence. He is ready to wrap his arms around us, to love us, to care about us, to give us a position we do not deserve. That son did not deserve. He had given away his inheritance. He had gotten what he was deserving. And so for him to get the robe and the ring, what that meant was he was now a son again. That's what the ring meant. And the fatted calf, that was something they would do once in a blue moon. They had a special calf set aside that they would sort of corn raise. I mean, you guys have always had that beef, you know, with the mottled beef that's so tasty. Well, there's a reason it's so tasty. It's got a lot of fat in it, and that's what this was. It was the fatted calf. This would have been the Delmonico. This would have been the ribeye. This would have been the $40 steak at the restaurant. And that's what he did to celebrate his son coming back. 
See, I, I don't know what's shaped your image of God. I don't know how you respond and you react to God. I don't know how you feel about God. You may have an image in your mind that's an image. But God swore to the Israelites. He says, I don't want you to have images. I want you to know me. You're to have no other gods. And when we put an image of God that does not correspond to who God really is, we are worshiping an idol, folks. Because it is not the real God. I would love for you to get rid of your idols this morning. And the worship the true God, the Father who wants to wrap his arms around you and love you and welcome you into his kingdom. Amen. 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 You know, another story that really catches me is the one about the woman caught in adultery. And this story is interesting because, again, you've got to sort of know the Jewish background a little bit to understand the story. So imagine this morning, you're up early, sun's coming up, and you're just hanging out with some folks, and all of a sudden, all these priests, all these rabbis, all these people with their robes and all their you know, religious stuff, we all know the drill, right? We've seen them. We've seen the robes, the hats, the everything. This is what it looked like. These guys had special robes that they wore to show that they were priests, that they were better than the rest of the people. They were close to God. And what are these men doing? They're bringing this poor woman caught in adultery to Jesus. It was not because they were trying to uphold the law. If they were going to uphold the law, where was the man? Because what the law said is both of them needed to be stoned to death. That's what the law said. If a man and a woman were caught in adultery, bring them out and have the community stone them to death. So they bring the woman. And I don't know what kind of shape she was in. But I can't imagine this woman being pulled out of a bed and brought, being paraded through the streets in whatever she was wearing and being thrown down at the feet of Jesus. I, I can't imagine how she must have been feeling. The embarrassment, the shame. I mean, do any of us ever feel shame? Oh, yeah. I, I gotta tell you, as I get older, one of the things I would love to erase in the church and outside the church is shame. Because shame, we feel so much shame. Even for things that are not our fault, we feel shame, right? How people view us, how people look at us, we feel shame. This woman was shamed in front of these folks. And I wish I had the wisdom of Jesus. I mean, here he is, this situation happens, and they're demanding an answer. You know, the law, the law tells us that such a woman should be stoned. 
Jesus gets down on the ground, stoops down, and starts writing in the... And they're continuing to press him. I'm, I'm sure they're getting frustrated at this point. Aren't you going to answer us? Come on. We're the priests. We're the Sadducees. You're, you need to answer this. This needs to be taken care of. He stands up and he says, the first of you without sin, throw the first stone. And then he stoops down again. And I want you to picture this scene. By this time, a crowd had gathered around, I'm sure. And here's these men, rocks in hand, ready to stone this woman. And Jesus lays a question on them that none of them could deal with. You know, when we're judgmental with each other, when we compare ourselves to each other, when we look at someone differently because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity or whatever, I want you to look at that rock that you have in your hand at that moment. And I want you to hear that question. You who are without sin, throw the first rock. It was silence. You know, up to then it had been rauches. Up to then, I'm sure this crowd was like, yeah, stoner, stoner, stoner. And then all of a sudden, it's silence. All you can hear is thuds as the rocks start to drop to the ground. And then everyone leaves except for Jesus and the woman. And he asks her a question. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. You just go and sin no more. That question, that statement, I think has been, in my estimation, misrepresented. Because you could say, okay, he forgave her, but see, he's still expecting something of her. You know, it's sort of like me when I was the drunkard, the stonehead, the hippie, and I was forgiven. I didn't, there was a part of me that said, you know, that whole thing about sin and feeling guilt, but... No, no, no. If Fred has taught here, and I'm sure he has, he's, he's shared with you about his thought about sin. Missing the mark. Missing the mark. That sin is missing the mark. And so, he, I think he's telling this woman, don't miss the mark. Take this opportunity to change your life forever. Not to shame her again. Not to put guilt back on her again. But just to say, daughter, you're better than this. Go live your life in the way that I intended for you to live it. Don't sink back. I'm going to let my wife share just for a moment. Thank you all. So I think um, following what Mark's talking about, you know, there are moments in our life where 
through personal choices, experiences, we come to value our relationship with God. There are times in our life like the sinful woman where we understand God's forgiveness in an incredible deep way. And I want to talk about a little bit about what was said by a couple of you about our image of God is shaped through suffering. And early this year, you know, all of us have been through COVID and life and, you know, I've reflected on the last few years and I've had, and even my life, there have been many challenges through the years, right? And my scripture for the year is Psalm 84 in verses 5 through 7 where he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And I love this passage because it's talking about a pilgrimage, a journey which we're all on. And it also talks about that we're going to pass through the Valley of Baca, which means the Valley of Tears, right? There are going to be times where God's going to use our challenges, our suffering, to help us shape that image of Him and to understand and appreciate and value the relationship He wants with us. And He also promises in verse 7 that we'll go through strength to strength, from strength to strength. And so I want to share um, uh, just two times, uh, significant times, where I was in the Valley of Tears. And one time was we had, we had twin boys, Jonathan, which Mark showed you the picture of, and Stephen. And Stephen, at three months of age, we found out that he was born with a heart condition. And that night, as I put the x-rays up to the light to show Mark, I was in tears. Because what I said is, honey, if this were a dog, we're in big trouble. Because his heart was like a pumpkin. And so you fast forward, many doctor's visits, you know, all that, to when he was two and a half, he had to have open heart surgery. And that was a very challenging time of tears with the real possibility that we would potentially lose our son. And I remember handing him over to the anesthesiologist and just saying, please take care of him. And I remember praying in my heart, God, if he's not gonna make it to heaven as an adult, take him now. Because I knew as a baby he would. Yeah. And that was a time of tears, and yet God allowed him to make it through. Yeah. And through that process, God showed me so much care and love, yes, because he made it, but also how much my brothers and sisters served us. Yeah. You know, we had to leave Jonathan back home. What was, <laughs> he needed someone to take care of him, right? He was also two and a half. We had meals and people that prayed for us and a brother marty who came to visit us in the hospital during stephen's recovery i mean there was just so much love and care that was provided through the fellowship of believers and god really showed me who he was through that and then fast forward to the beginning of the year uh, i lost my mom 
And uh, even at that time, you know, you never know what to say to someone who's lost a loved one, right? And yet the cards, the care that people showed. And I think also that at that time, God really showed me his love just by his presence. Mm -hmm. Having those times of meditation, those long walks in the woods, those long prayers, all the memories, even the way that my siblings came together and we comforted one another, that that was another way that God showed me how much he cared. And so I think this scripture has meant, he showed me so many times, uh, just how much he loves us through those autumn rains, you know, supplying what we needed at the time in the springs. And so I just want to encourage you that even if you're in the midst of suffering, how much God will supply what you need if you let him. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. You know, um, as we start to wind down here a little bit, um, you know, I, I purposely have tried to, to move your heart this morning a little bit. Because I feel like sometimes those blocks between us and God are real. And there is just something there that we have to overcome to be able to get to a place where God can actually go in and heal us. The thing I would say to that, if you're in that state this morning, is that when you harden your heart, you know, that heart can't be molded. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with clay, but you know, once clay gets hard, you you can try and mold it all you want. It's hard, it's done. And God needs a softer heart for us to be able to be molded. And so if that's been your case this morning, if experiences in life have hardened you, I would just encourage you to say, God, I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to be an unmoldable person. If I need to change or if I need to change my view of you, please mold my heart again. You know, I, I just... God is the God of second chances. You see it throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. I've seen it in my own life personally. And so really take that opportunity to be able to do that. I mean, you know, a lot of times we can say, you know, if God would just come down and talk to me and help me. I am going to read this scripture. This is over in John verses 36 and 40. He says, You've never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe in the one he sent. This is Jesus talking. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, I don't know whether, maybe it's an American trait. I I think it's just a human trait. It's sort of like, I want to do it on my own. How many of you see a child and you try and help them and, you know, no, 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 I'm doing this my way. I'm doing it on my own. And I think for us, that's sort of how our self-worth 
you know, that we can do it on our own comes from. But let me tell you, when life is all about you, it gets really lonely. It gets really lonely. We need God. We need others. We are not meant, we are meant to be a tribe. We are meant to be in fellowship with each other. We are meant to be together. And sometimes when you're going through the roughest times and you really don't want to share, you ever been there? You just don't want, it's like coming into the bedroom telling my total that car. You just don't want to go there. You don't want to say anything. Those are the times I've found that you need to open up the most. But it's, you can find encouragement from God's word, but what's God's word supposed to do? It's not meant just to enlighten us and no, 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 no. It's meant to direct us back to the source. Jesus represented the source. And so what God is saying, come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who are broken. Come to me, those of you that don't feel worthy. Come to me. You know, Thomas then, just before Jesus left us, he goes, Lord, this is in John 14, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know, I think we all struggle to have a right view of God. Amen. We do. Let's face it, we do. We have a hard time doing that. But when we see Jesus, we see God. And so I hope just even these stories that I shared this morning to show you the heart of God, that Father that's just waiting for you, or Jesus who was there to forgive this adulterous woman. Just an amazing heart. How many of us would have that kind of heart? But that's the heart of God. It's just, and that's just one little prism of all these facets of God that we have to get to know. But when we see Jesus, we see God. And you know, I think a couple of questions to ask yourself, do I need to think that, rethink this? You know, or have I even really thought about what my view of God really is? And letting the scriptures, letting your brothers and sisters, letting whoever brought you to church this morning, maybe reshape that view a little bit to see God for who he really is. You know, as we take communion this morning, I want to read the scripture over in John 17. Because to me, you know, you say the most important things at the end of your life. And this scripture is the last prayer we have recorded from Jesus before he, he died on the cross. And it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For he granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you've given him. Now get this. I'll ask, what is, is there eternal life? Is it real? Now this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You know, God's hope for every single one of us is that we can come to know him and find life, find eternity, and enjoy life in his presence. Amen. I hope this has been encouraging to you.